In McDermott Brandon Properties LLC v. Wheeler, 2023, ARC App 269, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed in a case where a seller sued a buyer over real estate. This lawsuit was based upon plaintiff's predecessor's real estate sale and the successor's allegations that there was a failure to make payments. The plaintiff lacked complete records. The defendant, on the other hand, said her husband made the payments and following his death and loss of receipts, with a 10-year delay in filing suit, she was unfairly prejudiced. Judge Gladwin reasoned that latches applied. Quote, this appeal arises from an order and judgment following a bench trial wherein the Faulkner County Circuit Court granted the counterclaim of Appalee cross-appellant Elizabeth Wheeler, quite entitled to the real property in question, ordered appellant cross-Appalee McDermott Branded Properties LLC, or McDermott, to provide Wheeler the warranty deed to the property and title insurance thereon, and granted compensatory damages to Wheeler in the amount of $30,000. The circuit court dismissed McDermott's amended complaint with prejudice. McDermott filed a timely appeal, and Wheeler cross-appealed the circuit court's ruling regarding attorney's fees and costs. We affirmed the circuit court's order. On June 3, 1994, Elizabeth Wheeler and John Dixon entered into a contract with Harry McDermott Jr. and William A. Brandon as trustees to purchase a tract of land in Faulkner County, Arkansas. Wheeler and Dixon agreed to a purchase price of $24,000 with payments of $232 a month plus interest at 8.5% per annum until the balance was paid off. The contract was for a term of 15 years and included 10.5 acres of land. On January 19, 1996, Dixon released his ownership interest in the property. However, he continued to live on the property with Wheeler as husband and wife until Dixon passed away in 2019. On May 5, 2005, Harry McDermott Jr. sent a letter to Wheeler indicating that she must begin making payments immediately because he had received notice that her bankruptcy had been dismissed. On June 21, 2005, another letter was sent to Wheeler stating that Harry McDermott Jr. had received her payment. However, because payments were so far behind, the amount paid would not even cover the contract's accrued interest. Furthermore, the letter proposed that Wheeler release five of the ten acres and that a new contract be drawn up to reflect the revision. The May 25 and June 21 letters were sent to two different addresses, and there is nothing in the record to verify whether Wheeler received the correspondence. However, an amended contract was not executed by the parties. Wheeler contends that from June 3, 1994 through January 2, 2010, she, Dixon, and their son, Eric Wheeler, made payments on the contract. It is undisputed that the last payment Wheeler made on the contract was on January 2, 2010. During such time, Wheeler continued to live on and make improvements to the property. While Wheeler concedes that payments might have been sporadic at times for various reasons, she alleges that the contract price was paid in full as of the date of her last payment in 2010. In the meantime, William A. Brandon passed away in 2000, and Harry McDermott Jr. passed away in 2015. After the death of Harry McDermott Jr., the successors of both former trustees formed McDermott Brandon Properties, LLC, to consolidate, maintain, and run the joint venture business. As a result, all of the joint venture contracts were transferred and assigned to the appellant. On March 5, 2020, Wheeler received a letter from appellant's attorney, 
who was also a member of McDermott, alleging that she had breached her contract by non-payment and demanded that she vacate and remove all her belongings from the property by March 30, 2020. Wheeler refused to vacate the property. End of quote. The trial court originally granted summary judgment for the seller, but on post-ruling motions, the trial court ruled a trial was necessary after the buyer presented proof that the seller sold five acres of the land for $30,000 to another. Following the bench trial, the seller's complaint was dismissed with prejudice, and in granting the counterclaim, the trial court ordered, quote, one, $30,000 to be paid by McDermott for its act of wrongfully selling five acres of the 10.5-acre property to the Valentines, two, title to the remaining 5.5 acres to Wheeler, and three, title insurance to be paid by McDermott. The court ordered that both parties were responsible for their own costs and attorney's fees. End of quote. The seller appealed on direct appeal. The buyer filed a cross-appeal, arguing that she should have been awarded her fees. Direct Appeal Quote, First, McDermott contends the circuit court only had jurisdiction to dismiss the unlawful detainer complaint or to eject Wheeler from the property. Appellate maintains that the only issue properly before the court was who had the right to possess the property, not who possessed legal title. At trial, McDermott alleged that the sale of the five acres to the Valentines in 2018 was irrelevant to its claim for unlawful detainer and specifically argued that the only thing different is that we've got five acres that Wheeler's sitting on where she shouldn't be instead of ten. Accordingly, appellant argues that the circuit court erred in awarding Wheeler damages for breach of contract and title to the property. In response, Wheeler claims that with the passage of Amendment 80 to the Arkansas Constitution, there is no longer a mandated separation of cases at law and cases sounding in equity. Therefore, the circuit court properly addressed the unlawful detainer claim and counterclaim in the same action. Whether the trial court could decide title in an unlawful detainer suit. Unlawful detainer is a limited remedy intended to give one claiming ownership of land a summary means of ousting an individual in possession. Pursuant to Arkansas Code Annotated Section 1860.308, in trials for unlawful detainer, Title to the premises in question shall not be adjudicated upon or given in evidence except to show the right to possession and extent thereof. McDermott cites Section 1860.308 to support its argument that the court erred by granting relief to Wheeler for breach of contract. Fundamentally, McDermott asserts that Wheeler was allowed to assert breach of contract as an affirmative defense to the unlawful detainer action, but the court could not, in turn, adjudicate title grant specific performance, or grant any additional relief to Appley. McDermott's argument, however, entirely ignores the fact that its complaint asserted claims for unlawful detainer and breach of contract. Further, while McDermott amended its complaint to declare that the contract was void, presumably in an effort to prevent Wheeler's breach of contract counterclaim from being litigated, the amended complaint sounds in contract. Consequently, McDermott's assertion that this case hinges solely on possession of property is false. More importantly, McDermott's objection to jurisdiction was specifically eradicated by Amendment 80 to the Arkansas Constitution in 2001. Amendment 80 merged Chancery and Circuit Courts. As a result of the amendment, 
Circuit courts simply added to their already existing jurisdiction as a court of law the equitable jurisdiction that chancery courts held prior to the effective date of the amendment. Therefore, a circuit court may exercise any act of jurisdiction that either a court of law or equity could have exercised prior to Amendment 80. And further, the designation of a specific type of action does not prevent a circuit court from hearing any matter within the court's jurisdiction that is properly raised. Accordingly, McDermott's argument is meritless. The circuit court did not err in awarding Wheeler damages and title to the property pursuant to her counterclaim, which involved claims separate and apart from McDermott's cause of action. End of quote. Setting aside its earlier summary judgment order, the Court of Appeals noted denial of a summary judgment order is normally not appealable. Here, a trial on the merits was properly held after the order denying the seller's summary judgment motion. There was no error in doing so. Latches. The circuit court ruled that the seller was barred by the equitable doctrine of latches. This was not an error, ruled the appellate court. Quote, For its final argument, appellant argues that the circuit court erred by ruling that the affirmative defense of latches prevented it from filing an unlawful detainer lawsuit 10 years after Wheeler's last payment. Throughout the litigation, Wheeler consistently raised the affirmative defense of latches, estoppel, and waiver. After trial, the circuit court held that the doctrine of latches applied because McDermott's unreasonable delay was detrimental to Wheeler and her ability to mount any sort of defense. Specifically, the court held that McDermott's inaction for more than 10 years reasonably caused Wheeler and her husband, who passed away in 2019, to believe that McDermott's rights were worthless or had been abandoned. Here, it is undisputed that Wheeler's last contract payment was made in 2010, and from then until 2020, McDermott had no contact with Wheeler until it served her with an eviction notice. By 2020, Three of the four parties to the contract were deceased, including Dixon, who Wheeler testified handled their finances during his lifetime. At trial, McDermott called a variety of witnesses to the stand, none of whom could testify with any certainty regarding the contract payments received or lack thereof from Wheeler, Dixon, or their son Eric. End of quote. The opinion noted the buyer eventually discarded receipts after 10 years, a showing of unreasonable delay on the seller's part, and latches favored her. Cross-appeal. Quote, Wheeler cross-appeals the circuit court's finding that both parties must bear their own attorney's fees and costs. The circuit court denied Wheeler's motion for reconsideration. However, Wheeler contends that the circuit court is required to give some explanation for its denial of fees. Because of the circuit court's intimate acquaintance with the trial proceedings, this court usually recognizes the superior perspective of the circuit court in determining whether to award attorney's fees. A decision of whether to award statutory attorney's fees will not be disturbed on appeal absent an abuse of discretion. Given the discretionary nature of attorney fee awards and our standard of review, we conclude that the circuit court did not abuse its discretion in ruling that each party was responsible for its own fees and costs. End of quote. End of decision.